Hey everyone, and welcome back to Inside the Morgue, the show that gives you all of the spooky details on what actually happens inside the morgue. We're your hosts and lovely autopsy techs, Jess and Alice. This is our Halloween episode. <gasps> so spooky! You know it's our favorite so word! Spooky. So, there was a new movie that came out a few months ago called Birth Rebirth. And it's kind of a modern retelling of Frankenstein in a way, and we thought that this would be the perfect movie to watch for you guys. So the movie is about a pathologist who reanimates the body of a young girl, and when the mother of this young girl finds out that her daughter is alive, she and the doctor enter this deal and they're forced down a very dark path. So, let's get into it. So obviously, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched this movie yet and want to watch it before we talk about it. We're going to be doing a whole lot of spoilers. So the movie starts with EMS trying to resuscitate someone in the back of an ambulance. They rush into the hospital and we see they're operating and we see a C-section being performed on the person who was just brought in. The nurse says, don't worry, your baby will be fine. To which the mother on the table replies, what about me? And then has a seizure. And then we just cut to the scene to her body in the morgue later. So obviously she did not survive the birth. She's on one of those classic pull-out cooler tables, and we see the hospital pathologist slash our protagonist of the movie taking photos of the body. We'll give a green flag here because you know we love our photos. And we also see in a cutscene that the baby is alive upstairs. The pathologist performs a Y incision and then opens the full body cavity. And I gotta say, I thought the effects looked pretty good. Same. Yeah. My only complaint, like the organs looked accurate. Mm-hmm. Like the lungs looked good, I thought. The blood was a good color. Yeah. It was a quick shot of it. But my one note was it didn't seem like, I know we've talked about this before, but autopsies and like insides of people are very colorful. Mm-hmm. So everything was kind of like one color. I Like there wasn't like yellow for fat or, but you know. I'm being nitpicky. And also, she this body had just come from a major surgery, so maybe she looked different. Also, maybe it was, like, the coloring of the whole movie itself, too. It was kind of, like, muted and darker. Yeah, it kind of goes with the vibe of the movie. She then, the pathologist, takes an organ from the body, puts it in her bag, and takes it home with her, it looks like. Uh, so that was... I was so confused at this part. I was like, wait, is it is she like an organ donor? And this is just like she's transporting? And then it dawned on me that no, she's taking this with her, her personal things. She's taking... Yeah, she puts it in like this giant box thing. She just drags it out to her car. So obviously a red flag. In case you guys didn't know, you're not supposed to take organs home. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> So we cut to this doctor, pathologist, looking at histology later in the hospital. So histology is the study of microscopic structures of tissue. And you can diagnose diseases and infections when you examine the slides under the microscope. And we do have the pathologist do this in our our office. The doctors will take sections of tissue and we put them into these little cassettes that are sent outside the office to be made into slides. And then they'll get sent back to us for the doctors to examine. There's also a whole bunch of different dyes to stain the tissue to contrast the colors to help visualize the cells. In the movie, the pathologist's assistant gets a call that he needs to leave to attend something at his kid's school. I think his kid, like, bit someone, they said. Yeah, and the doctor's just, like, very angry that he even took the call. Does not even care. Yeah, she's like, I said no phones. I'm like, they're not, like, in the morgue area. They're in, like, the office area. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. So Rose, the doc slash main character, um, doesn't let him leave. She's like, well, your wife can take care of it. Like, come on. Parenting is a two-person job sometimes. Let him go. 
Meanwhile, upstairs, we see that the nurse who had helped during the C-section earlier, she works upstairs in the maternity ward. And after her shift, she's going to pick up her daughter, Laylee, from the hospital's daycare. The nurse and her daughter take the bus home. And it's like really clear that they have a very close and loving relationship and that it's just them. It doesn't seem like there's a father in the picture. So she's she's a very nurturing mother and obviously loves her daughter very much. And her daughter loves her, too. Meanwhile, Rose, the hospital pathologist, is at the bar. She just makes conversation with a guy there, and she just calls him over. And then she abruptly tells him that she would like to, quote, masturbate him in the bathroom. At this Um, point, I was just like, what am I watching? What did I just pay to watch? I know, I rented this. (laughs) Cut to them in the bathroom stall, uh, getting to it. And she collects his sperm. (laughs) Jess is laughing at me on the Zoom as I'm trying to explain this scene. I don't know what to say. It was so it was, cringy. And she's... It was so awkward. She's so, like, deadpan. Oh, my... She is the this most stereotypical writer's room. Like, they made up this doctor figure, and all she talks is in medical yeah. jargon. She has no personality. Oh, it's yeah. It's just her and her work, and that's all. Yeah. So she's very deadpan while it's happening, and she collects his sperm, Without telling him what he's doing, I don't know if that's illegal. It seemed shady. She's clearly doing some shady stuff. She stole organs from the hospital, so I don't know why I'm questioning her now. <laughs> but she lies and she tell he asks what she's doing, and she's like, "Oh, it's a sex toy. Don't worry about it." But it's like a suction thing that she's using to collect the sperm, and then she just leaves. Oh, she also she does take a prick of his finger without telling him what she's doing. Um, I'm assuming to test if he has any STDs or anything. Back at the apartment. She is weighing out food, and she also has pints of just blood frozen and stored in, like, a big storage cooler in her living room. Just casual. You know, every hospital pathologist has that, I'm sure. I'm just kidding. They don't. Oh, they don't. (laughs) They better not. (laughs) Watch me get a letter, and it's like, oh, actually, no. (laughs) So she gives the food, which looks like just a bunch of green beans that she measured out, along with an IV bag full of blood, to a pig. That's just walking around her apartment. She then... Goes into her bathroom and injects herself with the sperm that she just collected from this man at the bar. Yep. We're off. This is like the beginning of the movie, guys. Yeah, this is like the first 10 minutes. So we cut back to the nurse, whose name is Carla, waking up in her apartment. And she hits the snooze button on her alarm. Celia, not Carla. Carla, She plays Carla in Scrubs. (laughs) We have to leave that in because it's the same actress who plays Carla in Scrubs. And I'm a huge Scrubs fan. I'll leave it in. I'm so funny. I'm so sorry. Uh, The nurse, whose name is Celia, in this, and Carla in another show, um, wakes up in her apartment and hits the snooze button on her alarm. She ends up oversleeping and rushes to go wake up her daughter. Her daughter says she's not feeling well and does appear to have a fever. So she rushes to take her daughter, Laylee, across the hall to drop her off at a neighbor's for the day. Laylee is upset and doesn't want her mom to go and she doesn't want to stay with the neighbors and she's acting really cranky and Celia gets frustrated, which results in her just leaving angrily without saying goodbye. Celia continues to get calls throughout the workday about her daughter not feeling well and she also ends up dropping her phone in a toilet later, which causes it to like cut in and out and not really be reliable with receiving calls. When she gets home, she goes to pick up Laylee from the neighbors But she finds the neighbor's apartment door open and walks in concerned, calling out both of their names. She then sees blood on the bathroom floor and runs to the phone where she sees a note saying Laylee was very sick and that the neighbor took her to the hospital. 
So Celia rushes back to the hospital. And while she's rushing back, we cut to the morgue. And we see someone bringing a body for Rose to examine. And they uncover the body. And we see that it's Laylee, the nurse's daughter. So she did not survive whatever illness she had, which we find out in a minute. (laughs) She is covered in what looks like these bloody wounds. And... Uh, Rose is reading like the records and it says that Laylee was coded for the OCME, the medical examiner's office. And this is a green flag because this definitely should have been a coroner and ME case because it seems like it was like an ER death. It was really sudden. This wouldn't be a hospital case. However, Laylee was brought to the hospital pathologist first because she was an organ donor. But Rose said she can't be an organ donor because she died of bacterial meningitis. So they can't use her organs. Bacterial meningitis is a bacterial infection of the meninges, which is the protective covering of the brain and the spinal cord, and this results in inflammation. It is serious and life-threatening, and it may be caused by an ear or sinus infection, a skull fracture, or in rare cases during surgery. Rose then wonders to herself if brain death preceded organ failure. Upstairs, Celia, the mother, is obviously upset and just kind of seems to be in shock. She takes the elevator down to the morgue to pathology. She knocks on the door there, and when no one answers, she just walks in. Rose finds her and tells her she isn't allowed there. And Celia says she just wants to see her daughter, and Rose says that she's at the Emmy's office now and gives her their number, but says that they're usually closed on the weekend. And it's a possible red flag, because I feel like somebody should be in the office on the weekends taking calls. Right? I mean, even if they're not in office, somebody should definitely just be on call. Right. People still die on the weekends. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> death doesn't stop nope i've said that to people when they're like why are you going into work on saturday i'm like people still die <laughs> on the weekends <laughs> someone asked me they're like so what do you do on the weekends i was like the same thing i do every other day like people are dying <laughs> like, like <laughs> it's not different then <laughs> so celia goes back upstairs and is talking to her friend slash one of her coworkers, another nurse Celia asks if the daycare had any other cases of bacterial meningitis, and her friend says they didn't. Celia also says she regrets her phone breaking because she couldn't check it to see if her daughter had called, and by the time she got to the hospital, her daughter was already dead, and she didn't get to say goodbye. Her friend gives her a ride home, and Celia sees Rose (laughs) packing a large and suspiciously body-shaped bag into the back of her car in the parking garage while her and her friend are on their way out. Celia goes to the Bronx ME the next day when it's open to look for her daughter. However, records... So I guess they are open on the weekend because she went the next day. Yeah, they weren't really clear what day this is because she said they're closed on a weekend. So was this a Sunday? Yeah. Also, we do know that Rose... Rose be lying. We'll find out in a minute. Rose is sketchy. So maybe Rose was just trying to make sure she didn't call. Although, like, True. it's her freak. Well, no, no, no. She did call, and then she got the voicemail oh, saying that's that right. the office was closed. She did call, and it said the office was closed. But then, okay, I thought, I was assuming it was the next day, and that it's the weekend, and it was Yeah, open. this is just confusing the timeline of, like, what day it is. It could just be me. <laughs> so. I don't think so. I think getting it's confused. <laughs> so she's there looking for her daughter. However, the records show that she isn't at the Emmy's office. So they just, like, nobody knows where this body is, which is super bad. So obviously she goes back to the hospital to demand what's going on and a doctor is telling Rose that the Emmy's office doesn't have Laylee and that Celia is demanding to speak to Rose directly. Rose runs out and Celia follows her and tries to confront her in the parking garage but Rose 
speeds off. It just makes her so suspicious. So suspicious. Like, if you're trying not to act shady. Very like, sketchy. You're acting yeah. so shady if you're running away and speeding off in a car. <laughs> when someone's like, hey, where's She's, my... I think she said something about, have like, there is the, the proper chain of custody and, like, mm-hmm. she signed off. But she probably maybe forged Oh, that. she definitely did. For sure forged it. Yeah. <laughs> Celia goes... To, yeah, she tries to say, she's like, oh, well, tell her, like, before... Celia demands to talk to Rose. She's talking to the other doctor. And she's like, oh, just tell Celia that, like, the Emmy's paperwork is always a mess. And maybe they mix something up. I was like, that's not going to comfort someone who's looking for their daughter's body. <laughs> they, and I'm pretty sure she said, oh, well, they, they cremated this woman. Yeah, they're like, yeah, yeah remember when they, they're like, yeah, remember when they cremated that lady by accident? And, like, that's, and the woman she was talking to was like, oh, that's comforting. Yeah, really. Yeah, once again, Rose is just depicted as someone who doesn't get feelings yeah she's zero empathy i mean like stuff in our office like sometimes reporting deaths does fall through the cracks here and there sometimes hospitals aren't the best at reporting deaths but like our investigators are really great at like catching them and calling them out and like making sure that people are doing the right thing and like contacting us and like we make sure that we account for everybody so this would never happen in our office. This has never happened. Would never happen. <laughs> so Celia goes directly to Rose's apartment. I don't know how she figured out where she lived. Maybe because they work at the same hospital. And forces herself in to find her daughter on a hospital bed with IVs and all this medical equipment. So Celia hits Rose. I mean, honestly, understandably so. And demands to know what she's doing. But Rose says that she's keeping Laylee alive. She then shows Celia Muriel the pig and tells Celia that Muriel had died two months ago, but that Rose was able to bring her back to life using the blood of fetal pigs to trigger cell regeneration. Celia is shocked, but intrigued and asks Rose if they do end up doing the same thing to her daughter, will she still have the same personality that she did before she died? Rose says she doesn't know, but that Laylee's cranial nerves seem to be intact. Celia says that Laylee cannot be left alone and says that she'll stay in Rose's apartment on the futon. So they just end up becoming the weirdest pair of roommates. (laughs) So when Rose is at work, Celia can watch Laylee and vice versa. So we cut to Rose at an OBGYN appointment. She's pregnant with the strange man from the bars, stolen sperm. And the ultrasound tech says that the baby's doing well. And then we learned that even though Rose doesn't have any children, she's been pregnant before. She comes home to Celia attending to Laylee. And Celia is going to work at the hospital now, and Rose will stay with Laylee now. They're, like, switching shifts. On her way out, Celia gives Muriel the pig a treat and teaches her how to sit, which upsets Rose. And she tells Celia that she can't be giving Muriel any food without recording it because she's on a very specific diet. Celia goes to work, and Rose turns on her TV to watch, like, she's, like, watching, like, an autopsy video and, like, taking notes. I'm like, is this your autopsy, or are you just, like... Just have random VHS tapes of autopsies. And I was watching this with my fiance, Costa, and he goes, see, you can work from home, which made me laugh. (laughs) Yeah, well, just take organs home with us. We could work at home. I was like, clearly she's not a good role model, this woman. (laughs) She's doing all sorts of illegal stuff. I don't know why she's watching autopsy videotapes. We see Celia then at the hospital stealing medical supplies for Laylee during her shift. So back at the apartment, Rose is in her bathroom, forcing herself to give birth prematurely. 
She saves the placenta and the fetus. And then at the hospital, Celia runs into her friend who's wondering how she's been and why she hasn't been returning her calls. And she also asks why Celia didn't have a service for her daughter. And Celia says there won't be a funeral service because they aren't religious. She then rushes out of the hospital, leaving her friend looking very concerned. So then we cut back to the apartment and Rose and Celia take Laylee off the ventilator that they had her on, and Laylee starts breathing on her own. She's on ECMO, which is extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, and it's basically life support. So, like, on TV shows, if you ever hear, like, oh, we gotta put them on bypass, that's basically what this is. It's the method and allows the blood to basically bypass the heart and lungs, and it allows oxygen to then rest and heal them. So Celia says it's a miracle, which causes Rose to get very offended. And Rose is like, no, this isn't a miracle. It's not supernatural. It's science and hard work. She's like, again, has zero personality or anything. So, <laughs> so deadpan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so deadpan and anti-anything not scientific. So Celia asks how long Rose has been doing these experiments, and she says she's been working on this since she was about six or seven. This next part. I was expecting her to say, like, oh, since I was in college. Yeah. I know. As soon as she said six or seven, I'm like, oh. and I, She's a psycho. I was like, oh. And I knew, I don't want to spoil what's coming, but I was like, oh, you you did tests on animals. I was like, you were one of those kids. <laughs> you were, I knew where it was going. I was like, <sighs> I was like oh, no. <laughs> So she says that her mother taught her biology and would take her on nature trips. And when she was six, they found a starfish at the beach and they brought it home. Her mother told her to lay the starfish on butcher paper and cut off its arm. That was like the part that I was like, your mother told you to do this? I was thinking the same thing. So maybe it's not entirely Rose's fault that she ended up like this. (laughs) God. So as a six-year-old would do when your mom tells you to do something, she did it. And every day she measured the arm that grew back and she's very fascinated with how this animal fixed itself. So then she tried to cut the leg off her her class's hamster to see if that would grow back. And of course, the hamster bled out and died, which is also very traumatic for a child. Okay, all of this. I blame on the mother because she didn't explain. Yeah, like you're you teach biology, but you didn't explain to the six year old that if I mean one, you shouldn't be cutting the limbs off of animals. Like, don't just do that as a home experiment. That's not a great lesson to teach someone at six or any age. <laughs> don't do that. And then she didn't explain the difference between a starfish and a mammal, like, <laughs> and how and like why. The starfish's arm was growing back. She's just like, all right, chop off the arm. Isn't that neat? And then, like, what'd she do? Just, like, leave? And so now this girl is like, oh, I'm going to try this on every animal. This could happen to She's anybody. She's lucky she didn't try it on, like, a kid. Like, <laughs> yeah. She even, oh, my God. What is this neat trick? I'm going to chop off one of your toes. I'm just going to grow back. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, red flags to this mom. We're not counting the red flag toward the Artali at the end, but this mother yeah, has issues. Not great. So Celia asks Rose where her mother is now, and Celia said that her mother died of Parkinson's. I honestly was expecting her to be like, oh, she's in the other room, and like, ever is <laughs> like, just like. I was expecting a more like dramatic kind of death. Mm. And like that, that like Rose had a part in it some way. Yeah. She tried to cut off her arm. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no. They like were doing like some experiment yeah. or whatever. I know, I know. I was ex- fully expecting her to be like, oh, she's in the other room, and then just have like the mom like <laughs> walk in, her. like zombie mom, like walking in, <laughs> like waiting for it. I was like, oh. I reanimated her five years ago. I know. And I, I know that probably wouldn't happen because she was saying this is the first time she's like succeeded with doing it with a person, like bringing them back to life. So I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. But I was fully expecting like her mom to be like in the apartment somewhere, like her body, like a Norman Bates situation, <laughs> just like in a rocking chair in a, in, in a closet. Yeah, like in a closet, the closet, a rocking chair in a different room. <laughs> I was fully waiting for that to happen. She's like the the episode of SpongeBob where they go to sell chocolate and it's just like the little dried up worm in a, yes, in a wheelchair. Exactly, chocolate. <laughs> She's just in the closet. Oh my god. So anyway, back in the movie. So we go later in the hospital, and it's clear that Rose is becoming distracted with her experiment at home, and she's losing focus on her actual job at the hospital. She also starts to very heavily bleed vaginally at work, and then she passes out. And when she doesn't come home, Celia calls her very worried, and her assistant Scott answers the phone, and he says that there was an incident, but he didn't want to kind of divulge too much. So Celia says that they live together, and then Scott just assumes that they're romantic partners and tells her it looks like Rose will be okay, but she's in surgery. In the background, we see that Laylee is sitting straight up in the hospital slash living room bed, and I, like, jumped. I was like, this is spooky. That was the one jump scare in this movie. Like, mm-hmm. there was just, like... I just wasn't expecting suddenly it. Suddenly, she's, like, Celia's just walking, and then you see, like, a sh- it wasn't, like... She's, like, in the background, so it's still a little, like, blurry. Like, the f- the shot is really of Celia on the phone, but you just see, like, a shadowy thing pop up behind her, and you're like, oh, my God, the kid's sitting up. <laughs> <laughs> Spooky! <laughs> so Celia hangs up the phone and then rushes over to her, to her daughter, and then we see Rose waking up from surgery and they tell her that she had an infection in her cervix and that she won't be able to conceive anymore, which is very bad because she conceives and gets pregnant and then like forces herself to give birth and she uses the fetus and the placenta for her experiments. How many times do you think she's done that? I think they said that this is her her third time because I remember she was talking in oh, a different okay. scene to like her supervisor because her supervisor was like you're slacking like what's up? I know that you're losing I your know mind. you've had like <laughs> multiple miscarriages before. Yeah. So I think it was around like 3. This was the third time she did it. Yeah. Because she was building up a supply. Because you could tell yeah. it wasn't her first rodeo. So she comes home very dazed and confused, and she's, like, still in a hospital gown. And she's very shocked to find that Lily's awake and says that she shouldn't be awake before she then collapsed on the ground. She popped three of her stitches in her stomach from the surgery, and Celia patches her up, and she says that Laylee moved her hand and eyes today, and that she made noises. And Rose is very worried about how fast Laylee is progressing, and she says that they only have enough serum for a few weeks because she gets the serum from her fetal tissue, and she can no longer conceive, so she doesn't have that supply, so they're going to run out of serum if she doesn't do anything. They can't take anything from Celia because she doesn't have the right blood type, and Rose says it was crazy that she herself was the right blood type and that she had the right HLA markers to match Laylee. So HLA markers are proteins or markers that are found in most of your blood cells in the body, and your immune system uses those markers to recognize which cells belong to your body and which don't. 
So Celia suggests that they check the donor registry, and Rose points out that they don't run the full battery of tests until post-mortem, so they can't really know who would be a good match. And then Rose gets the idea and runs to work, and she comes home, and Celia and Laylee are watching TV, and Rose says that she needs to talk, and then she turns the TV off, and Laylee then makes this, like, groaning sound that she's very, like, she's upset that the TV's turned off, and stops, and then when Rose turns the TV back on again, she kind of, like, goes back to normal, and Rose is very fascinated, and then she, like, does it a few times. And Celia's like, stop it. She keeps doing it. I know. She's like, stop taunting my daughter. My zombie daughter. I will. I also just want to say, I want to give props to the actress who played Laylee. Like, Oh my she, god, yeah. She did such a good job being like a spooky little zombie girl and doing like a lot with no words, really. Like conveying. Mm-hmm. It was a very like physical yeah. role that she yeah, had. Yeah, being able to convey emotion without saying anything i mean especially Mm -hmm. she had to be pretty young like i was very impressed with her performance that's all i want to say she was spooky did a great job she yeah she played the part very well so she tells celia that she found a match for Lily through the bone marrow registry and they found this woman in her second trimester who came in for testing last week and rose says that she quote botched the results to get her to come in for amniocentesis uh, so that they could use her amnio fluid for Laylee. So amniocentesis is a prenatal test that takes your amniotic fluid around, like from around your baby in the uterus, and the fluid is tested to see if the baby has any certain health conditions. So they literally stick a needle in your womb, basically, to get that fluid out, and the needle's like right next to the baby's head. Yeah, it's scary. It's very scary. I've never had to experience that. But from what I've heard and what I've seen, it looks scary. So Celia points out that the obvious ethical dilemma of making a pregnant woman think that something is wrong with her baby and taking out her amnio without consent is here. But Rose doesn't seem to care. And Celia... Surprising no one. (laughs) Has no emotion. So Celia doesn't have any other plans, so she stops arguing, and then we cut to the hospital, and Celia is doing the amnio on the mother that Rose found as the match, and she talks to Emily, the mother, and asks if this is her first child, and she says that they've been trying for a really long time, and they've never gotten this far. That's horrible. I know. When you think about it. I know. They, like, they picked this poor woman who probably already has so much trauma around this experience of pregnancy. And are just giving her extra trauma for no reason. Like, her baby's fine, and they're making her think her baby's not fine, and they're making her go through this, like, traumatic procedure. It's like, all right. The two of them start to bond over how they're geriatric mothers. I hate that term. (laughs) I hate that. Sorry. You can get pregnant at any age, and nobody is going to judge you. So Celia comes back to the apartment, and Rose is playing with a light bulb with Laylee. Yeah, she has it, like, on, like, a wire, and she's, like, waving it in front of Laylee, and Laylee's, like, reaching. And she's, like, trying to catch the light. There's that insurance commercial where there's that guy with a fishing line who has a dollar, and he's like, oh, you almost got it. (laughs) Gotta be quicker than that. that. And that's what she's basically doing. (laughs) I quote that daily. (laughs) She's doing with Laylee, but with, like, a light bulb from a wire. Oh, you almost had it. So Celia's very excited about this, and she hugs Laylee, who becomes very triggered and upset. And Rose says that Laylee is scared, and we see her, that she's, like, not eating normal food like she 
was when she was alive. And Rose tells Celia they will have to continue to trick Emily, the mother, into getting amniocentesis every month until she delivers her baby. And then they will have to get the placenta like at the end of the year for Lily. And then just then we see Muriel the pig. She starts seizing and vomiting and Rose rushes over to give her a sedative and says that they forgot to give her the serum. So later, Celia is giving Laylee a bath and she starts singing and Laylee kind of starts to mumble and sing along like she recognizes what's happening. Um, And she recognizes her own name and that Celia is her mother. And Laylee also starts to be able to kind of take the next stages of like beginning to walk again. And then we see that Celia is like watching a tape of Laylee taking her new first steps. And then she finds a video titled Muriel. So she puts that in the VCR thinking that it's going to be a tape of the pig. But this is a tape of experiments that Rose did on her mother named Muriel three days after she died. She had cut open the forearm to expose the muscle and is galvanizing them. Yeah. So like galvanization is like when... We talk about it a little bit more in our true crime stories, but not really crime, but like our true stories. You basically like electrify the muscles and like make them like twitch, even though like, yeah, yeah. So that's all that is. But yeah, she's doing that to the forum and like the, the arms like flailing and the fingers are moving, but the, her mother is like very much dead. And you just hear her like in the background. She's like, wow, this is fascinating as her mother's like dead arm is like flopping around. And it's like, what the fuck? Psycho. We've said it before. Wait, I didn't think about this. How did she, so she was obviously taking care of her mother towards the end of her life, and then her mother died, and she just, did she keep the body for a few days and then report it, or did she just, like, never report her mother dead? I don't, was she taking care of her mother at home, like, in her apartment? Yeah, that's how she has, like, the bed set up, because she was, like, taking care, she was doing, like, end-of-life care for her mom, that's how she has, like, the whole bed set up for Laylee. Yeah, I guess she was doing those experiments, and then... Because, like, did she just, like, call and be like, oh, yeah, my mom died just now, but then they, like, come to the house, and, like, she did not look three days dead in that video, by the way. No. She's like, she did not look three days dead. Like, very funky. She (laughs) still looked like, she just looked like she was sleeping, like... yeah. There wasn't any discoloration. Yeah. So I was just thinking, like, she waited, like, a few days to do experiments on her mom, try to bring her back, and it didn't work. Does she just call the coroner or, like, a funeral home and be like, hey, my mom just died, and then they come and pick him up, and it's like, this woman didn't just die. (laughs) There's obvious signs that this woman didn't just die. She would have had liver mortis, like, from laying in the bed for so long. Like, she would have, like, you'd be... It, mm-hmm. rigor would have gone and left at that point like it would there would have been so many signs that the mother didn't just die but i mean she had those full body suitcase things so maybe she just like packed up her mom and brought her to the hospital i know that's what i'm thinking she must have just like shadily disposed of her mom yeah which is awful to think about yeah sorry that's just the hypothetical i'm throwing <laughs> out there we never find out guys i'm sorry i brought it up but i, was just, yeah, I just thought of it now here <laughs> Maybe her mom is somewhere in the apartment. Maybe her mom is like Norman Batesing it or Norma Batesing it in another room. Back in the movie, Celia is very disturbed and turns the TV off. And then we cut back at work where Emily is again with another amnio. And Emily's getting very frustrated about having to go through this process again. And she tells Celia that they've decided to go to another hospital for the delivery. So this will be the last time that she sees them. 
so they won't have access to this amnio fluid anymore or the placenta. Cecilia goes home to tell Rose, and they're obviously both upset, and they get into a fight, and Celia asks if she hadn't shown up, what would Rose have done to Laylee and confronts her about the experiments that she did on her own mother, and Laylee calls from the other room, and Celia goes right to her, and later we see Celia at work, and Rose is in the shower at home, and we see on the baby monitor that Laylee gets out of bed and crawls on the floor on her own, and she makes her way. Very spookily. Very, very spookily, like zombie-like, and I was like getting freaked out at this point. So we see her like crawl over to Muriel the pig who was sleeping, and Laylee reaches her hand out to Muriel, and Muriel bites her. So, she kills Muriel with the IV stand. It, it's brutal. She just keeps hitting her. It's beating her. Yeah. That, I, like, wasn't expecting that to happen. I, so one of my, it's gonna make me sound so insane, but one of my favorite books and movies is Pet Cemetery by Stephen King. So I know when you bring a little kid back to life, they're gonna be haunted. <laughs> and they're gonna be <laughs> bad. They're gonna be haunted. They're not gonna be the same. And they're going to do some creepy shit. (laughs) Just like this. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So Rose, she hears Muriel squealing. And so she gets out of the shower and finds Laylee is covered in blood and looks creepy AF. She's just standing there. Uh, Right? She doesn't know what she did was wrong. She's just standing there covered in pig blood. Because she doesn't have any thoughts. Because she is supposed to be dead. She's supposed to be dead. Was brought back. She wants to yeah. So later we see Celia come home and they strap Laylee to her hospital bed and Celia looks like she doesn't recognize her daughter anymore. Rose examines Muriel's body and discovers that the problem was her spine. She, When she didn't receive her serum, her organs were regenerating, but her spine wasn't sending the signals to her brain. And they think this is what's happening with Laylee. Rose thinks that they need to compensate for the lack of serum and asks Celia to aspirate some of her own bone marrow. Um, so they do this procedure, which looks very, very painful. On They do this on Rose. Yeah, they do it on Rose. They, like, Celia injects her or, like, stabs her with a giant needle to get bone marrow. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That was, like, hard to watch. Yep. But they continue to try to get stem cells from the placentas that Celia can get at the hospital, which do look realistic. So we give this a green flag because they they looked lifelike. I I said that out loud to Costa. <laughs> well, I didn't say it to Costa. I was more saying it to myself, but he was watching the movie with me. And I was like, those placentas look real. And he just kind of like slow turned to me and he's like, oh my God, <laughs> you've seen real ones? And I'm like, yeah, I've seen real ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They get placentas in buckets sometimes. But none of these placentas are successful in their experiment with Lily. So the bone marrow doesn't seem to be taking as much as the serum from fetal tissue. And Rose tells Celia that she needs to call out to work to spend more time with Lily because now, like, she doesn't have enough time and she's probably going to eventually, like, die. Again. Again, yeah. And then at the hospital, we see Rose getting confronted with her sloppy work. It's funny. they, she, The work she's getting confronted about is um, a pap smear result. And she said that they had abnormal cells in their pap smear. And so they should get a biopsy for like their cervical tissue, which for anybody that doesn't know is a female 
part of the female reproductive organ and she's like yeah i just said they needed to get a scan for like check for precancerous cells and her boss is like this patient has a penis (laughs) (laughs) and she's like oh (laughs) then we see celia lying with Lily at home and we see that she flatlines and celia says that everything's going to be all right i promise Rose comes home to find the hospital bed empty with Lily and Celia gone. However, Rose opens the big cooler that she had, all the blood samples and transfusions in, and she finds Lily's body in there. Like, what? And her eyes are wide open. Yeah. I, like, cold, dead eyes, wide open, looking right at her. I was like, ugh. We cut to Celia going to visit Emily, the mother that they got all of the amnios from, and she brings her a copy of the records from the hospital. And she stays to have tea with her, and Emily complains of pain, and Celia offers to make the tea. She puts something in Emily's drink, and then we cut to Emily seizing on the floor. EMS arrives, and we find out that Emily is the mother who died in labor in the beginning of the movie, and Celia was the one that killed her. This hooked me. Like, I was, like, I was kind of enjoying the movie. I was like, all right, this is decent, like, Frankenstein retelling. Like, I can see where they're going with this. And then this happened, and I was like, oh, my God, the beginning of the movie is the end of the movie. <laughs> it's a, The title makes sense. It's a cycle. <laughs> yeah. So after the incident, she's in the bathroom, and she gets a call, and Celia tells Rose to get to pathology now, and we see Rose with Emily's body. So Rose comes home to find Celia upset that she accidentally killed Emily because she didn't mean to. She meant her to, like, pass out, I think. She meant her to, like, she still meant her to go into labor prematurely. So she was seven months along. She still meant to put her own, she still meant to put the baby at risk. Like, she's still, she's not guiltless. She's like, I didn't mean to. And I was like, you were fucking with a pregnant woman's tea. Doing unnecessary amnios. To get her to go into premature labor. (laughs) You're not a saint. Rose said that she got everything she needed, and Celia says... Quote, there was nothing else she could do. You could have called somebody and reported everything. There were a lot of other things you could do. Let your daughter rest in peace. <laughs> That's, I mean, I know I'm, I'm saying this is someone who doesn't have children. Like, obviously, I don't know that pain. But it doesn't seem like you needed to kill yeah. people. We said she just wanted to induce the labor. She never meant to kill anybody. She only meant her to, like, put her to sleep. Um, Basilia says that what happened happened. So Rose says that they can get back to work and they get Leela out of the cooler and they bring her back to life again. And that's how this movie ends. It just like it's like Laylee's point of view and we see her opening her eyes and like breathing. And then yeah, her mom Celia's like, Hi baby, welcome back and I'm just like this is gonna be a cycle for them. Like they're gonna have to keep stealing stuff from pregnant women to try and keep this girl alive. Something's always gonna go wrong. They might always kill someone Leela might die again and they might just keep trying to bring this poor six-year-old back who's just very confused and then at what point do you stop and think like I'm doing this for myself not for my daughter I I don't know if she's ever going to come to that realization I think she's too far gone and I also think like Rose is just going to be on board for this the entire time because she's science she's just in it for the science Celia's in it for her daughter and like you saw in the beginning she loves her daughter more than anything else in the world so she'll do anything to get her back Rose loves her science more than anything else in the world and will do anything, including experiments on her own dead mother. So, like, there's no there's no limits. They have no boundaries. Like, they're going to keep doing this. It's just going to be a cycle over and over again. We just have two quick things we wanted to talk about before we get into our really cool true crime. The first is just a blanket red flag for this entire movie. 
mostly for the, the description of the movie because I have a bone <laughs> to pick with this. When this movie first came out, I think it was like end of August and we we saw it and we read the description and it said morgue technician. And we were like, oh my God, a movie about us. Like, of course we have to watch it for the pod. Yes, I read about it and I was like, I read about this movie and I was like, sick. I texted Jess right away. I was like, there's a movie coming out. It's a scary movie and the main person is a morgue tech. Like, autopsy techs and morgue techs are never the main characters. I'm so excited. We have to watch it for the pod. And then we watch it, and they're like, Dr. Rose, whatever her last name is. And, yeah, she's a pathologist, clearly. She's a hospital pathologist. Not not an autopsy technician. She's not a morgue technician. And I I texted Jess as I was watching it. I was like, they lied to us. She's not a morgue tech. She's a doctor. Literally, if you look this movie up and you read the very basic plot, it says morgue technician, where it should say doctor because she is clearly a doctor. They call her doctor multiple times. Even like I watched it. I rented it on Amazon. And the little blurb on Amazon says like when a childless morgue technician, like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, cool, morgue tech. Nope. So... They'd be lying. They'd be lying. You guys already know. We've talked about it a million times because we're autopsy technicians. We are upset. You know the difference between a a pathologist and an autopsy technician. We talk about it enough. But red flag for them getting those two jobs mixed up. (laughs) Whoever wrote that description. Our other thing that we just wanted to kind of clarify is the quick difference between a hospital autopsy and a forensic autopsy because I feel like a lot of people don't know that there's a difference and that they they just hear autopsy and think like oh it's just one thing I get asked if I work in a hospital a lot yeah and I say I I don't just I usually don't say I'm an autopsy technician I say I'm a forensic autopsy technician Mm -hmm. and people still they're like oh are you working do you work in a hospital and I'm like "Mm, no I work in a morgue at the coroner's office (laughs) you see scrubs and you're like hospital Mm -hmm. so main difference between so like forensic autopsies is what we do we are involved in cases where there's suspicious violent and unknown cause of death and we work to figure out cause manner of death uh whereas a hospital or a clinical autopsy they need consent from mexican we don't because we have jurisdiction so a forensic autopsy doesn't need consent where a hospital autopsy does and a hospital autopsy they are basically doing the autopsy to better understand the cause of death that they already know and they're doing it more for research and like teaching in the hospital yeah so cause of death is known manner of death is known it's natural and like they're trying to understand it a little bit more for like medical reasons yeah so we just wanted to clarify that a little bit basically mostly because this was a hospital pathologist and they were doing hospital autopsies so now that this movie's out and people are like oh this is how autopsies are done this is the only type of autopsy there is no Mm -mm. autopsies are not done by stealing body parts (laughs) and taking them home to bring children to life guys (laughs) contrary to popular stealing of organs or amnio fluid (laughs) so like we said earlier this movie is advertised as a somewhat modern retelling of frankenstein which we thought was really cool and with halloween right around the corner we thought it would be fun to discuss some stories from like the 1700s that might have inspired mary shelley to write the literary and horror classic that we know today so first we're going to talk about a man named johan conrad dippel He was born in 1673 and died in 1734. And during his life, he wrote over 70 works and treaties on mathematics, chemistry, and philosophy under the pseudonym Christianus Democriticus. 
He attended. I'm really impressed. I said that on the first try. I just want to say that was good. I really just went for it. <laughs> it would have been great if I didn't stop to say something about it, but I was really proud of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so he attended the University of Giessen in Germany and taught at many universities, including Strasbourg University in France. Dippel had a reputation as kind of a charlatan, uh, so he was an alchemist, so he would be trying to turn base metals to gold, and he was also searching for the Philosopher's Stone and the Elixir Vitae, which is just like the elixir of life, like a mortal life, and it, it never ceases to blow my mind when I'm reading about stuff like this, that like he, like these were scientists of the day, and like trying to figure out like, they believed in stuff like the Philosopher's Stone, and like. It's like the Fountain of Youth. Yeah. But, like, literally the Philosopher's Stone. And so in... I'm going to talk about Harry Potter now. Uh, that's in my immediate thought. <laughs> First Harry Potter movie. Most places it's called Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Uh, U.S. it's Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. But the character... There's a character in the book, Nicholas Flamel. Nicholas Flamel was a real person. And he was a real alchemist looking for the Philosopher's Stone. And she, like, wrote him in. Oh, to, he was a real... I didn't know that. He was a real person in France looking for the philosopher's stone oh god that's crazy and so yeah she wrote him into this into the book and um there's a really interesting strange and unusual podcast episode about like about the philosopher's stone and nicholas flamel and all that and i thought it was really neat and yeah listen to strange and unusual podcast i love allison horrocks but that's when i like learned that nicholas flamel was a real person because i'm a millennial who only knew him from harry potter and i was like oh my god he was real i just hear a little hermione (laughs) voice nicholas flamel nicholas flamel however dipple's connection to frankenstein lore comes from his time that he spent at a castle on a hilltop in darmstadt above the rhine river valley in mainz dipple lived there after the castle was left vacant from its former owners believe it or not, actually called the Frankenstein family. I don't know if it's pronounced Frankenstein, but spelled a little differently than Mary Shelley spells her Frankenstein, but I still thought that was crazy. And so this family had left their home vacant after the Reformation and the War of European Succession. So legends of the alchemist Dipple living in the castle. He also wasn't supposed to be living there, I think. Like, he tried to get, like, legal ownership of the castle, but a lot of people pushed against it. Was he squatting? I think he might have been squatting a little bit in this creepy castle. And he was making, he would make oils and formulas from, he would definitely boil down animal bones, but rumors started to spread that he was using body parts from human corpses. However, these are likely conspiracy theories that started because he would boil animal bones. But uh, so the practice of him boiling bones mixed with the fact that the castle had formerly been a prison that had a grave for prisoners, meaning that he would have easy access to bodies if he wanted them, just made the rumors of his dark experiments for raising the dead and creating eternal life like really spread. So Dipple eventually moved on from the castle, still seeking the elixir for eternal life. And he ended up passing away from complications of chemical poisoning, either from just exposure that he experienced from his work or from testing his elixirs on himself. So they did not lead to eternal life. (laughs) Kind of the opposite. So we got this information from FrankensteinDiaries.com, and we will link this page in our show notes. And we also thought it would be fun to talk a little bit about the woman who wrote Frankenstein and the odd circumstances in which she originally wrote the story. So again, I also learned about this originally from the Strange and Unusual podcast, 
I can't get enough of it. <laughs> and I'm sure everyone has heard of the story of Frankenstein, but just in case, here's a quick breakdown. So Mary Shelley's novel Frankenstein was one of the first gothic explorations of artificial life, telling the story of a doomed scientist, Victor Frankenstein, who gives life to an unnamed, quote, creature. And no, the creature isn't called Frankenstein. Everybody thinks that. I even say it sometimes too, but it's Frankenstein's monster. The scientist is Frankenstein. Mary Shelley depicted this creature as a galvanized, stitched together, hideous, sapient medical creation. And the inspiration for this nightmarish monster came from one of her literal nightmares. She was on holiday with her future husband, Percy Bysshe Shelley, who she married later in 1816, Lord Byron, and Dr. John Polifori at Via Diodati near Lake Geneva in Switzerland. So they were there during the year without summer, 1816, which... So the year without summer was caused by plumes of volcanic ash from the eruption of Mount Tambori in Indonesia, which caused significantly cooled temperatures across the globe and affected food production and regular seasonal climate. So it felt like the fall or maybe even sometimes the winter, like in the middle of the summer. It was cloudy and gloomy and it just didn't feel like summer. But they were on vacation on this lake, and while on vacation during this gloomy summer, Lord Byron suggested a ghost story writing competition among the friends who were all there. And this competition not only inspired Mary to write Frankenstein, but also inspired their friend Pilodori's short prose, The Vampire, which later became the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. So two iconic monsters came from this vacation in a gloomy summer. Mary Shelley recalls that her nightmare came about after a late night discussion between her future husband and Byron about the then, quote, fashionable scientific topic of galvanism. So this was the study of electricity to simulate muscle contractions, which would produce chemical reactions, which led to people's interest in the liminal state between life and death. So like we saw in the movie, people like would take, I, I don't know if they ever, I actually, I think they did do it on people. They would like, electrify muscles and you'd see like the body twitch and people would be shocked and wonder if there could be life after death or if the dead could come back to life somehow i mean that's what you do when you're like bringing somebody back they when they have like a heart attack yeah shock them because you want your heart to start beating again literally that's what your heartbeat is it's like electrical pulses so they're not far off don't try to raise the dead don't try this at home don't try this at home guys just go read frankenstein or watch a frankenstein movie (laughs) or watch birth rebirth and let us know what you think It is also theorized that Mary Shelley's own tragic loss of a prematurely born child in 1815 inspired the story's themes of Victor Frankenstein bringing about an unnatural birth by infusing his own assembled, quote, dead creation with unnatural life. So Shelley's iconic tale has gone on to be retold and adapted in many forms, including movies like Birth Rebirth. And just one more quick fact about Mary Shelley. I I love her. Um, She was only... 18 when she wrote Frankenstein. Damn. What a badass. I was writing like really bad fan fiction at 18. (laughs) She was writing like an iconic literary gothic tale that had like major themes that she wouldn't even know has major impact on movies and literary today. Yeah. She like owned all those guys writing ghost stories. She's like, oh, you want a ghost story? I'm going to tell you a ghost story. I'll give you a ghost story. It's going to blow your mind. (laughs) So we got this information from a HistoryExtra.com article, which will also be included in our show notes for you to read. What an insane, like, retelling of the story. Because I feel like there's definitely been, like, so many 
versions and retellings of Frankenstein out there. And I feel like this one just made it even more mm-hmm. modern with the science today. There was one, I'm pretty sure it was like Daniel Radcliffe did like a Dr. Frankenstein or like a Victor Frankenstein movie or TV show. Oh, yeah. What was he was Igor? They did it and it still it felt like very dated. And this this version just felt very modern and like fit in in 2023. Yeah, I need to. Oh, yeah. It was the movie called Victor Frankenstein. He's Daniel Radcliffe is Igor. James McAvoy is Victor Frankenstein. But I liked, yeah, it felt way more modern because it was like, it was taking place today. And I also, I liked that it was two women. Yeah. I liked that it was two women who worked in opposite fields. Like, it's literally birth, rebirth. It's like, she worked in the maternity ward. She worked in the morgue. And they have to, like, come together in the weird liminal space between life and death. But they both experience every day and like they both fall down a dark, dark rabbit hole. I didn't even put those together that like, yeah, like her job was literal birth and hers was and hers literal is death. death. And then she got into, I don't know, like she got into it. Rose got into it for the love of science. And like she clearly has a fascination with death and like how to stop it. And like Celia likes she another part of the movie is that Celia is a very active proponent of like she spoke up for mothers like there was one scene where the woman's giving birth and the it's a male doctor is trying to like either force her like she's trying to give birth naturally and she's trying to push naturally and the doctor's like trying to rush her yeah into like a c-section a c-section i think and celia's like why don't we let mom have one more try like why don't we let her try to do this one more time the way that she wants to like the baby's doing fine everything's fine this isn't an emergency we don't need to rush her into a c-section right now and then the mother ends up giving birth but yeah so she's very into like birth and life and then the other one's into like death and like afterlife stuff and i don't know i thought it was neat to see them come together as weird roommates yeah they definitely were the weirdest roommates and they had the weirdest connection Mm -hmm. like there are two people you think would have nothing in common i mean they probably wouldn't have had anything in common if it wasn't celia's daughter being the one being brought back to life but if you're looking for a new spooky movie to watch during halloween this was a good one and it's not it's not like there's not a ton of jump scares yeah there's not it's not like horror horror i'd say it's more of like a medical psychological thriller there's a couple of gory scenes, like there's some blood, but it's not like not anything crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, definitely worse movies. The pig scene where she kills the pig is probably the worst of it, I would say. Yeah, but this was a good movie overall. I enjoyed watching it. The plot twist at the end, I didn't see coming. That's what really sealed it for me. Like, and on it, it's one of those movies where, like, I I thought I was like, okay, this is okay when I'm watching it, but I've thought about it more over the past couple of days, and I'm like. Okay, I kind of really like this movie, I think. Yeah, you had told you had watched it before me and you were like, Oh my god, there's a crazy plot twist and I was watching it with my fiance and I was like, Oh my god, like there's a plot twist. I like I'm trying to guess what it is, he's trying to guess what it is. I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> I thought that I thought it was gonna be, and we talked about this earlier, I thought Celia was gonna go to Emily's house and basically tell her that Rose botched the results. And I thought, like, Emily was going to sue the hospital and get Rose fired. Like, I thought Celia was going to turn a new leaf and turn her back on the whole, like, bringing her daughter to life thing. Mm-hmm. I thought it was, I thought it was, like, a beautiful moment of, like, when 
Laylee died again, she was able to say goodbye. So I thought, like, that was the closure she needed. That was everything she needed. And then it was like, nope. Yeah. She kills the pregnant lady and takes her placenta. I thought that Laylee was going to kill both of them and just turn whole demonic on them. And then police were going to come and find her. And everybody was going to be like, wait, like, she died. Like, how is this possible? And then it was going to be like a, a montage of like all these crazy home videos. Yeah. Oh, my God. Also, like, how did they resolve? Like, so the Emmy's office should have been looking for this body. How did they resolve that? They just stopped. They stopped looking. The hospital never brought it up again. Did she just call them and be like, oh, <laughs> never mind. We're fine. We've- it's fine. I found Maybe- it. Maybe Rose put in a call and was like, oh, we have her in the hospital morgue. Like, everything's fine. But still, like, she would have needed to go to get an autopsy. Like, that's definitely an autopsy. It's a pediatric death. It's in an ER. Like, that, that is a coroner medical examiner case. <laughs> that death should have been reported, and the coroner investigator would have fought the people at the hospital to, like, for them to say, no, like, this is a coroner case. We're taking jurisdiction. Give us the body. That was never resolved, and I wish it was. They kind of just stopped once, like, once Celia realized where she was, they kind of made it seem like nobody else would be. No one else cares I mean, about this dead girl that no one found yet. I feel like there should have been a bigger, bigger deal made about that. And they had the one, the one friend who's like, why didn't you have a funeral? And she kind of, like, evaded the question. She's like, <laughs> we're not religious. You don't have to be religious to have a funeral. We're not religious. Bye. But, like, what's her plan if this works? To just keep doing it and doing it? Is she just going to go out into the world? Well, like, if this works and they're able to sustain her life long term and Layla, like, keeps growing up, is she just going to, like, go out into the world with her daughter who's supposed to be dead? Like, are they going to have to move to, like, a new place under fake names? They're just going to constantly, they're going to continue to be the weirdest roommates everywhere they go. Maybe move to a new city because they're in New York. And they know lots of people there. So they'd, they'd have to move to a new place where they don't know anybody and nobody knows that the daughter's actually supposed to be dead and continue the scheme. The sequels yeah, are yeah. just going to be them. <laughs> them going to different locations. They're just going to have to continue stealing amniotic fluid and placentas from pregnant women forever and ever and ever. Yeah, that's what uh, the fact that like the end of the movie is the beginning. Mm-hmm really makes it seem like this is like a vicious cycle like they're never going to be able to if unless they let go of Laylee this is going to be a vicious cycle she's not grieving very well oh no you know what they both need therapy Therapy. nailed it on that note (laughs) to end this episode we tallied a total of three green flags and three red flags so in our opinion birth rebirth kind of ties in terms of forensic accuracy yeah it's I definitely it was I was still a good movie to watch. I might end up rewatching it this time without like taking I was taking diligent notes. So like this time I'll just sit and watch it for what it is cuz I think yeah. It's one of those ones that makes you think after. Clearly, we've talked about it forever. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Morgue. If you enjoy our podcast and want to learn more about forensics, keep on listening. You can find us on Instagram at Inside the Morgue Pod and DM us with anything you want to talk about. We'll be back next week for a brand new dissection. Bye. Bye.